Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. In this episode from the archives, Pastor Andrew gives us a clear understanding of the nature of our Trinitarian God. Good morning. Today we're basically looking at celebration of Trinity Sunday. I want to read some verses from Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2, 10 to 13, God asked for witnesses to the situation he found himself in with his people Israel. This scene lays out the direction of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry that saw Jerusalem and the temple destroyed and the people carted off to Babylon and Jeremiah himself being taken to Egypt against his will. God says, Across to the coastlands of Kittim and see and send to Kedar and observe closely and see if there has been such a thing as this. Has a nation changed its gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which was not profit. The appalled, O heavens, at this and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now a cistern was a small underground reservoir shaped like a light bulb with a stone or wooden cover that held water. Firstly, in forsaking God, they had cut themselves off from the true source of life and prosperity. Their peace was soon to be certain. God uses this image to focus upon his people, his people's dependence on other gods for their spiritual and material life, rather than depending on their God. Forsaking God was to see the divine glory that was on his people, which is indestructible, exchanged for a purely human glory built on shifting sand, which could evaporate at any moment in time. Secondly, these cisterns, which they made for themselves, were broken and therefore could not hold water for them. They had abandoned their God, a thing never heard of before. We need to note that Isaiah tells us that they were turning away from their God in their hearts and their external unrighteous activities. And they did this whilst they were still holding some form of religion, attending the temple and giving to God and fasting when their hearts were far from God. As we move to celebrate Trinity Sunday, it is important to note that the same God who spoke to the Israelites 
through Jeremiah as Yahweh Elohim now appears to us as the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's feelings towards his people of Israel and their desertion of him for other gods is no different to those he feels for us as Christian people if we do the same things. We celebrate Trinity Sunday in our Anglican liturgical life in remembrance of the nature and being of our God. It is certainly not meant to be God's birthday. This is because of his eternal nature, which has no beginning and no end. God is infinite in his being. It's also not his name day, because his name did not originate with us, but with him. God's name is an important aspect of his being in both the Jewish and Christian traditions. However, God's name is not simple at all, especially when we want to move from the Jewish name Yahweh Elohim to the Christian name Trinity. The name Yahweh is not itself simple either because of what scholars call the Tetragrammaton. You might ask, what does that mean? It's the four consonants YHWH that is translated in the Hebrew language as Yahweh. The vowels in the Hebrew language of Yahweh were scholarly invented by Jewish scribes. At least we have a clear biblical pathway to discovering of God's name as Yahweh through Moses in Exodus 3 and 6. Moses, trying to get out of the job, asked God what his name was. And God's response was, I am who I am, which is the essence of being. From this emerges the name Yahweh, which means God with us, God in the midst of us. God had promised to be in the midst of his people. Jewish theologian Michael Weiskogord wrote, The God of Israel has a proper name. There is no fact in Jewish theology more significant than this. We also need to note that the Christian God not only emerges from Yahweh Elohim, but also has a proper name, the Trinity, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's Christian name is also incredibly important. If we move away from it to any great extent, are we also moving away from a personal engagement with God through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? However, we do not have the name Trinity in the New Testament. Although the New Testament writers clearly understood that the God who had appeared to them through Jesus Christ was Yahweh Elohim. The Trinity poses some real questions for some people. To the extent that scholars in recent decades have shifted our reference to the Trinity from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to Creator, Redeemer, 
and sanctifier. Now you'll find that if you look up your recent Anglican prayer books, where we find that some contemporary prayers are finished in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. The problem with doing that is we've moved away from God's name to his activity. Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier are the different activities of the three persons of the Trinity. Although the name Trinity for the Christian God is not in the Bible itself, the linking of the three persons in the New Testament is quite pronounced. This shift in name occurs because the incredibly interactive God, Yahweh, broke afresh into this world to our life on this tiny planet in the person of Jesus Christ. The incarnate Christ, who is the Son of God, become man. Some people think that because we now have three persons, we have three gods. Actually, if you're going to read it that way, we should say we've got four gods. That is not the case. Although if we move our former designation from the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, we certainly leave ourselves open to such a charge. Both Jews and Christians are monotheistic in their beliefs that there is only one God who is both the creator and sustainer of the universe. The Old Testament occasionally refers to a priority in God without any sense of removing the claim that they believed in only one God. For instance, Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 5 reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Although there is often a plural sense to the Jewish terms describing the activity of God, for instance, Elohim is used in the plural here in Deuteronomy 6.4, which I've just read, but let me read what it should say. The Lord Yahweh, our gods, is one Lord, Yahweh. So you can see even there in the midst of their statement about oneness, there's a plurality in the Godhead that doesn't diminish the oneness. There's also a number of references in the plural when God is making earth-shattering decisions. Firstly, the exclusion of man and woman from the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.22 reads, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. It also occurs in the confusion of languages at the time of the Tower of Babel to frustrate human endeavours. Genesis eleven seven says, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they might not understand one another's speech. And then we find it occurs again in the call of Isaiah to ministry in Isaiah 6 verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. 
The Jews also saw the use of God's word and God's spirit as a part of the being of God himself. So when we come to the New Testament, we find a more definitive revelation of the nature of the being of God, coming to us from and through Jesus Christ. We find the emergence of a new title or proper name for God, being that there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The most surprising of these definitions is the presence and place of the Father. There is less than five references to God being Father in the Old Testament. Usually these references would refer to God as the Father of the fatherless. However, in John's Gospel, Jesus refers to God as Father over a hundred times. The revelation of the nature of the Trinity comes through Jesus Christ with his focus on the Father and his dependence on the Holy Spirit in the work that he came to do. Yet in our day, we have stepped back from this understanding of God and become reticent in our understanding of the divine nature. The question is whether in so doing have we abandoned our God, not just denying the name, but the intimacy of the relationship he desires to have with us. For instance, alternatives to the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, such as Creator, Redeemer and Sanctifier, aim to move away from the masculine nature of the Trinitarian definition. However, they make the mistake of replacing terms related to the nature of God, God's unity, diversity and personhood, to those referring to his activity. God as creator refers to God's work of creating the universe and this world. The incarnate son, God become man in Jesus Christ, as redeemer, refers to the work he did bringing all humanity who believe in him back to God. And the Holy Spirit as sanctifier refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer to make them righteous. If used as a replacement for the three persons, then the personhood of God suffers as a result. The mistake starts when anyone claims purely masculine attributes to the name of the Trinity, whether it is those opposed to the name or those who hold the name dear. It then complicates the relationship with God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. For instance, Genesis 1 notes the creation of human beings, both male and female, in the image and likeness of God. This does not mean that humanity is seen in masculine terms. That is because it is together, male and female, that humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. I don't blame some of us having real difficulties if he, that is the male, in all his forms, is the representative of the image and likeness of God. That's not biblically true. Together we form that likeness, male and female. On the other hand, there are those who shy away from using the term father 
because they had been incredibly abused by their fathers or by their male spouses. I understand those feelings as I had been disowned by my own father and told that he had no son. I was 14 or 15 years old when that occurred. It wasn't until I was 30 and training for the priesthood that one night God confronted me to deal with that reality. I'm not a son. I've been running all those years from that reality. When I confronted it, dealt with it through God's help, not only did I have a deeper peace inside, but God said to me, I'll be your father. I can tell you that was a good trade-in. The world is brutal, but disowning the personhood of God does not help us address that. It hinders us in any future we might try to eke out. What suffers then in the nature and being of the Godhead as a result is the plurality of God. By that we do not mean that there are three gods, for God is definitely one. Nevertheless, within the being of God, there are three entities, for in God is indeed three persons, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. As we noted earlier, the Old Testament acknowledges their plurality when they act together. Attempts to demasculize the Trinity or add feminine touches by claiming a feminine aspect to the Holy Spirit or using our mother or father in heaven draw us into a purely human understanding of the divine nature. It is such an understanding that the pluralists such as John Hick call for tolerance amongst world religions. They achieve this by claiming that each religion is simply a human perception of the divine, which has nothing to do with the real nature of the God who is there. Denying revelation, they push the divine back into a passive state of inactivity in the world. They call all religions to a tolerance that can only occur with the dismissal of all religions' real understanding of God. They separate us from the very thing that the Son of God came into the world to achieve. That is to understand the real nature of the living God and his activity and his love for all people. He comes with forgiveness that is unheard of and a gracious acceptance that is undisturbed, undeserved by the best of us. It comes as a free gift and a call, not only to the adoption in the family of God, but entrance into the core of their own fellowship. We come to the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. This does not necessarily nullify other beliefs, but does call of us to recognise that in Jesus Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you that you thought so much of us and you loved us so much that you revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, help us to move into an intimate and ongoing relationship with you that grows daily in intensity and experience, that we may know you for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.